Well, this week, we say goodbye to another year. And as many of you know, it's that time of year when people are looking back over the previous year and evaluating what they've done well and what needs improvement. And it's also that time of year when many are looking ahead and setting new goals and making new resolutions for the upcoming year. And maybe some of you have done this already. Maybe some of you all have already made commitments for 2013. Maybe some of you have made New Year's resolutions to exercise more or to eat healthier this next year. It's always a popular one, right? Or uh, maybe this next year you've made a commitment to get out of debt or maybe you've made a commitment to give more money to worthy causes. And those are good things. They are. And I would encourage each and every one of you to make and honor these types of commitments. But I too want to take time this morning to share with you what type of commitments we need to be making as a church. And though these are New Year's resolutions that I'm going to share with you this morning, you'll find the points in this sermon are nothing new. They're taken straight from our church's mission statement. I've been meaning to uh, revisit these points for some time, and I thought there was no better time to do it than the Sunday before the new year. So this morning, I'm going to share with you what needs to be our goals, the goals that all of us set for ourselves as believers and as a church this next year. But before we get into it, I want to take a few moments to remind you of our church's mission statement. Here it is up on the screen. This is our mission statement. Fellowship Bible Church exists for the purpose of making disciples by escorting people to Christ, establishing people in truth, and equipping people for ministry. Now, some of you have heard this, and some of you are hearing it for the first time, but, but there's, there's a few of you, I'm sure, that are, upon hearing that, thinking to yourself, you know what, that sounds good. You know, that's catchy, escort, establish, equip. Sounds like a, a pastor put that together. And you think, well, it sounds catchy, but what actually does that mean? What does that look like? How do we accomplish this as a church? Well, I'm glad you asked, people. Because for the rest of the morning, I'm going to break down our church's mission statement for you, and I'm going to, to explain to you how, how all of you can be involved in these three things, in escorting, in establishing, and in equipping in 2013. So let's get into it. Let's take a look at it. First, a resolution that we should all make as believers and as a church is to escort people to Christ. Escort people to Christ. Folks, we need to be serious about seeing people come to Christ. We do. Now, before I speak more to the believers in here, let me first speak to those of you in here who have not yet been saved. Those of you who have not yet trusted in Christ for your salvation. I'm aware of the fact, and church, you should be as well, that there are some here this morning who have not yet turned over the reins of their life, who have not yet given their lives 
to the Lord. And understand this as well, church. Some of these people that I'm describing aren't first-time visitors. They're not. Some people I'm describing are here Sunday after Sunday. They are. And listen, if you're in this boat, I'm not trying to, I'm not going to have you raise your hand. <laughs> I'm not trying to single you out. But I, I, I want you to, to, to know that my prayer for you is as you come here week in and week out, and as you, as you watch God's people gather together to worship Him, and as you hear God's Word preached Sunday after Sunday, my prayer for you, if this is you, that you would be convinced that Jesus is Lord, and you would in turn give your life over to Him. That's my prayer. Paul says in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul says, if you confess and make Jesus Lord of your life, if you give over the reins of your life to him and turn from your wicked ways, turn from your sin, and turn over the reins of your life to him, you will be saved. You will. And if you've never made this decision, I pray today be the day it happened. I pray that this be your salvation day. There's no better way to start off the new year than by making this decision, by turning from your sins and by trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. So this is the essential first step. Before you can be effective at escorting people to Christ, you must first be escorted to him. Makes sense, right? Yeah. You must first come to know Jesus as Lord and then you can properly represent him and share his gospel message to the unbelieving and watching world. Believers, that's what we're called to do, isn't it? It is. We're called, believers, to be representatives of Christ. And there's two primary ways we do that. One is through showing and another is through sharing. Let's first talk about showing. What do I mean when I say that we are to represent Christ through showing? Well, I'm talking about you living out your faith, believers. Talking about you living to prove that God, that, that your relationship with God through Christ is authentic. That's what I'm talking about. Sure, it's no surprise to you that more people in our world today walk, uh, talk the talk than walk the walk, right? I think I even have to do any sort of surveys to figure that out, right? We know that's the case. It's easier to talk it than to walk it, right? It is. But Scripture is clear, believers, that this is not to be true of us. Along with being vocal, we are to be visible. We are. The way we live our lives as Believers should, should cause us to stick out in the world. Should. Because the life that God calls us to live, it goes against the flow of this world. It does. I've heard pastors say before, live as I say and not as I do. They will say, don't follow me, follow Jesus. 
No, listen, those who say, do as I say and not as I do, are guilty of doing what Jesus accused the Pharisees of doing. Remember in Matthew chapter 23, verses 2 through 4, Jesus says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. They preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. The scribes and the Pharisees talked a big game, didn't they? They did. They had a major problem. They didn't have a lifestyle to match. It's not to be true of us. Believers, God has called us out, and he has set us apart for a reason. Not just to enjoy all the benefits that come from being right with him, but to represent him to others. So my prayer for us this upcoming year is that as the unbelieving and watching world watches us fellowship, that they would see Christ in us. That people would come to to, to know Christ as Lord through watching how we live our lives under his rule and his reign. So we're to represent him through showing. But not only that, we're also to represent Christ through sharing. Through sharing. Though it's essential that we represent him through our actions, we should also make him known by sharing his message. Along with being visible representatives, we are to be vocal witnesses for Christ. Look at what Paul says up on the screen, Romans 10, 13 through 14. Paul says this, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? In this passage, Paul shows us the importance of being vocal witnesses for Christ. He tells us in verse 14 that before one can come to trust in Christ alone for salvation, he or she must first hear the message. They must hear it. Some of you are thinking to yourself, well, that didn't apply to us, you know. We live in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. Jacksonville, Texas, right? Surely, everyone's heard the gospel around here, right? And if you go around and you ask a large number of people in this city, my guess is they'll probably tell you the same thing. That they know, they've heard the message. They, they, they feel as if they've got a good handle on the gospel. They believe, they know what the gospel message is and believe that they are a Christian based upon the knowledge that they have. But if you really press people to articulate what they believe, you know what you find? Many don't have a clue. They don't. I've done it. I've asked a lot of people in Arkansas when we lived in Tennessee, when we were in Arkansas, about questions pertaining to the gospel, and you know what answer I got more than any other? People telling me you have to try your best and be a good person. Folks, that's not just a misunderstanding of the gospel. That's another gospel altogether. That's a false gospel. That's a gospel opposed to the true gospel. Because at the core of the true gospel is a a message of grace, not works. It's true. 
So many in our community need to unlearn what they think they know about the gospel. And they need to take a fresh look at God's word to understand the message scripturally. This is key. So we got our work cut out for us, believers. We have a big task here. You came in, you thought it was easy. You know, everybody in Jacksonville, they know the gospel, right? No. No. And, and people, not only here, they have to learn what the gospel is, but get this, they have to unlearn what it's not. They do. It's a big task for us. And listen, they will never come to understand the true gospel if we are silent. Because Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from what? Hearing. Hearing. So believers, make sure you're being a vocal witness as well as a visible one. And if you've fallen down on this job this past year, folks, it's time to recommit. It's time to recommit. Now, before we move on to the next point, I, I want to talk to our parents in here just for a moment, especially our parents of young kids, but, but parents of, of kids still in the house. Parents, are you showing and sharing the gospel to your kids? Pray that you would take every chance you can get to do so. You know, some will say, well, my children are, are too young to understand right now, so I'm just going to wait. Now, listen, they're never too young. They're not. You should be a vocal witness to them from birth. When they're born, sing to them as a baby. Sing worship songs, songs of praise to them. When they begin to understand, teach them truths about Jesus. And when they can talk, teach them to memorize biblical truths. And when they can read, give them a Bible. Don't waste any moment you have with them. I just don't get those who say they're just too young to, to understand. So what? Teach them, and don't water it down. Just teach them the truth until it sinks in. Just do it. Why not do it? What are you hurting by doing that? Teach them those truths until they sink in. Don't shy away from difficult teachings in Scripture. Teach them the Bible. We have too many... 20 to 30 year old infants in our church who grew up sitting right where you are today. It's true. So important, parents, that we show our kids, we share with our kids, but also that we show our kids how to live a life that honors God. Now, this is much more difficult, isn't it? It is. One of the toughest places to represent Christ is in the home because. They see us at our worst, don't they? Our kids do. See us in the morning when we didn't get enough sleep the night before. They see us after a long day when we're tired and stressed out and frustrated. So it's a tough place to represent Christ. But get this, it's one of the most important places that we do it. It really is. So I pray, parents, on top of sharing and showing Christ in the workplace and in and around Jacksonville that you are representing him in your homes. I would love more than anything in the next few years for your kids to come by my office and talk with me and share with me how they are trusting in Christ for their salvation because of your witness in the home. That's my prayer. 
So that's the first resolution that we should make for ourselves, believers, in 2013. We need to be serious about escorting people to Christ through showing Christ and through sharing Christ by being a visible representative and a vocal witness for him. The second resolution is this. Let's, as a church, commit this next year to get established in truth. Get established in truth. Though it's important that you get escorted to Christ, listen, it's essential that you grow up in him. Many believe and teach that the initial decision that you make is what salvation is all about. And that's it. Therefore, many believe that that prayer they prayed or that aisle they walked down or that initial decision they made 10 to 20 years ago is all salvation is. I've shared Christ with people before who have responded with, oh, I did that. My follow-up question is, but are you doing it today? If there came a time in your life when you received Christ as Lord, are you living under his lordship today? Are you growing in your knowledge of him? Are you believing and trusting and following and obeying him? Because that's what the initial decision is supposed to be all about, making him Lord, right? Changing your allegiances. Though we should want to see people make a decision for Christ, listen, it should not stop there, folks. It shouldn't. During Jesus' earthly ministry, Jesus gave his disciples a simple-to-understand mission, a clear assignment of what they were to be doing until he returned. And this assignment is found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I have it up on the screen. Jesus tells them this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, does Jesus say here, as you're going, make new converts? Is that what he says? No. He says, make disciples. Make disciples. So though being converted, that's the necessary first step. Christ expects his followers to grow and develop in their faith, to get established in truth. And believers, hear me when I say this. It's unnatural for us to do any differently. It is. It's abnormal for a follower of Christ, one who says he's a follower of Christ, to not follow Christ. It should make sense. It's abnormal for us not to be growing and developing spiritually. Say you're out in public, you witness a toddler having a meltdown. Anybody ever seen this or had this done? It's better when you watch it and not experience it personally. But my guess is, if you were to go out today to Walmart and watch this happen, this wouldn't all be all that shocking to you, would it? You'd probably be glad it wasn't happening to you, but it, it, you, know, you probably wouldn't stop and stare. You might feel bad for them. But it's not all that shocking to see that. But what about a 30 to 40-year-old? What if you witnessed a 30 or 40-year-old fall into the floor, throw a fit, kicking his or her legs when they didn't get their way? My guess is 
people would stop and stare at that, wouldn't they? Yeah. Why? Because it's abnormal. It's unnatural for a grown adult to act like a toddler. The same is true spiritually. If you're not growing and developing spiritually, that's a problem. That's abnormal. If you're here this morning and you're not making strides year after year in your spiritual life, you're, granted, you're going to have setbacks, but you need to be moving forward. If you're not, first you need to revisit point number one to make sure you're saved in the first place. But if you are, you need to realize it's unnatural for you to remain in a state of spiritual infancy. It is. One of the most basic principles that you find you can't get a, away from from Genesis to Revelation is that God's people are those types of people who follow him. God's people are those types of people who respond to him and who grow up in him. True. God's people are those people who hear his voice and they respond to him and they obey him and they grow in godliness. Some of you will ask, well, well what does that look like, you know? How can, I, how can I get on the right path toward maturity? Some of you might be thinking, you know, I want to make strides this next year, but I don't know where to begin. Well, there are two essential ways for you to get established in truth. One is publicly and the other is privately. First, let's talk publicly. I know I've shared this with you before, but folks, we need reminding. You and I, all believers without exception, need the local church. We do. There's this growing trend in our world today, a lot of folks my age, who think that church is optional. Many think I can be who God has called me to be apart from the church. Folks, nothing can be further from the truth. The early church would have had no concept of that, those in the early church, growing in their faith without other believers. I mean, how can you be obedient to the commands of God? How can you love one another when you don't associate with one another? How can you be obedient if you don't associate with the people of God? How can you sharpen one another if you're not around anyone to sharpen? So it's true. You, you need the church. It's like saying I could be a surgeon without going to medical school. I guess I could. I could try, right? People wouldn't trust me all that much, but it is. It's It's, it's ridiculous. Many, many believers have this mentality today that the church needs them, but they don't necessarily need the church. Believers, without the church, hear me, and, I, and I, I'll stand on this. You cannot come close to being who God has called you to be apart from the church. In Acts 2, we're given a great description of the very first church ever, and it's a description of who they were and what they were like and what they valued. And in verse 42, we're told that they gathered together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is one of the early descriptions given here of the church. And we're told here that when they gathered, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. In other words, they were concerned with the true teachings of the Christian faith. They sought to know what the apostles taught so that they could commit themselves to it and, and, and be the type of people that God had called them to be. And the same is to be true of us today, church. 
We have the message of God given to us in His Word. And the reason why, one of the main reasons why we gather here week in and week out is to commit ourselves to this teaching. That's right. I've said it a few times before, and I know I'll say it time and time again. But according to Ephesians 4, this is my primary role as your pastor. I know a lot of people have ideas of what the pastor should be, but Ephesians 4 lays it out pretty, pretty clear. The role of the pastor teacher is to equip the people of God with the Word of God. That's my role, to establish you in truth so that you can grow in your faith. That's what Sunday morning's all about, folks. It's about us gathering here to hear from God in His Word from his word so that we can receive his message and go out and apply it to our lives and so that we can encourage one another as believers to live the life that God has called us to live. That's what we're to be doing as a church. Believers, we provide a lot of opportunities for that to take place other than just this on Sunday mornings. We do. In addition to Sunday mornings, we have we have things for your kids going on. We've got Girls for God in the evenings for the, for the youth girls and, and things for the guys as well. And, and we also uh, we have equipping classes. Our equipping classes meet once a month on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday evenings. And for those of y'all who have never been to one of our equipping classes, the purpose of these classes are to do just that, to ground you in biblical truth. Unfortunately, there are too few ministries in our churches today with this focus, which is a shame because for us to live the life that God has called us to live, we must first think the way he's called us to think. Right thinking leads to right living. If we're not thinking rightly, we're not going to live rightly. It's as practical as that. You want to know why theology is practical? That's why. Right thinking leads to right living. It's true. Which is why in these classes, we focus heavily on biblical content as well as practical living. We also provide men's and women's Bible studies. Our guys meet once a week on Tuesday mornings. Another guy's group meets on Thursday evenings. And, and during their time together, they study through books of the Bible and they study through devotional books written for the purpose of maturing men of faith. Our women normally meet on Sunday evenings. And, and over the past year and a half to two years, they've been studying through books of the Bible. They've gone through, I believe, Esther and Ruth and James and Romans. They're going to start Exodus in the winter through the spring months. We also have small groups in our church and home groups, small group that meets at our church, home groups that meet in, in various homes throughout the week made up of men and women, and our, our small groups are another way for you to get established in truth. And on top of studying the Bible, one thing that our groups get together and do is they just get together to encourage one another, to sharpen one another, to challenge and encourage one another to, to live for God. So there are a lot of opportunities, folks, for you to get established in truth. And here's my challenge to you. I want to make this challenge right here. I want to encourage each and every one of you to get plugged into at least one, if not more, of these existing ministries in addition to you coming on Sunday morning. I want to encourage each and every one of you to make a commitment to, to come to our equipping classes or our men's or women's Bible study or one of our many small group ministries and come with the purpose of getting established in truth. So that's the way to get established publicly. But it's also essential that we 
commit to getting established privately as well. Privately, look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Look at what Paul says. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul gives us two essential truths here personally about our growth and godliness. First, he shows us that our growth and godliness is a divine work from within. It's a divine work from within. In verse 13, Paul says, it is God who works in you. Listen, for us to be who God has called us to be, we must have God working from the inside. We must have that. It's one of the main points Paul makes here. We need a God-given desire, a God-given motivation, a God-given drive to respond to him. So it's a divine work on the inside, but it's also a human work on the outside. Paul says, work out your own salvation. That word works in the imperative. Paul's saying, work it out. You work it out. He's saying as God works in you, you respond to the work that God's doing within you by working it out. Work out your salvation by getting established in truth, by continuing to believe, continuing to trust, continuing to follow, continuing to obey. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, Paul says this, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Now, when I read this verse, I often think about an athlete in training. How many of y'all watched the Olympics this past summer? Anybody? Stay up with it? Yeah. I lasted the first week or two it's tough after a while isn't it but it, did you notice how often how many times the commentators referred to the athletes training this athlete has been working you know how long they, they want to really stress the point to us the viewers that these athletes did not get to where they are overnight they have to be disciplined they have to refrain from doing things they want to do and push their body to do things it would prefer not to do. And listen, in a similar way, believers, we should think of our spiritual maturity in this way. For us to mature, we're going to have to put off the old man. We're going to have to refrain from doing things this old body wants to do and push it to do things it would prefer not to do. For you to make strides in 2013, and in the years to come, you're going to have to be disciplined, like Paul says, for the purpose of godliness. And I guarantee you this, the, the, the difference between you and the more spiritually mature person sitting across from you this morning is the work that's being put in personally Monday through Saturday. It is. It's the reason we encourage spiritual growth throughout the week we send you home with the spiritual growth guide and we remind you of the spiritual disciplines because we know that what takes place when you leave this place is what's going to truly make the difference in your life spiritually so get established in truth that's key one more thing equipping what I would love to see in 2013, more than anything, for you as individuals and for us as a church is for us to get better equipped for ministry. Like I said earlier, before Christ returned to be with the Father, during his post-resurrection ministry, he gave the church an incredible assignment. He says, as you are going, 
make disciples. Folks, that's what we're to be doing until Christ returns. We're to seek out followers of him and, and where there are no followers of him. We're to make him known where he is not known. We're to call people to turn from their life of sin and trust in Christ alone for salvation. And when they, when they do, we're called to pour our lives into these people and to assist them in their growth and godliness. Believers, God is, has chosen to use you and he's chosen to use me to seek out and find his lost sheep. Remember what God said to Paul when he was ministering in Corinth? He said, go on speaking in this city and do not be silent for I am with you for I have many in this city who are my people. Believers, God has you where you are. He has you in the family you're in, in the community you're in, in the job you're in, ultimately for this reason. Because he has many in this city and the surrounding areas who are his. And he wants to use you to seek them out and find them. And he wants to use you to assist them and direct them in their growth in godliness. That's what he calls from all of us. That's why it's essential that we get equipped for ministry. That's why it's important that we, we prepare ourselves for this great assignment. And there are three ways, quickly, that we get prepared for ministry. The first is through praying. Scripture is clear that we are to be praying for God's kingdom to advance, and we're to be praying for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field, and we are also to be praying ourselves, and we're to be committing ourselves and being willing to go if God tells us to. You know, we often treat prayer sort of like a side note, don't we? In ministry. I mean, it's something you tag on the end of ministry just to make it sound more spiritual. Hey, we're going to pray about it too. Ooh, yeah. Now it's spiritual. You know? Sort of like a cherry on the top of a Sunday. No, prayer is essential. It's, it's the fuel of ministry. It is. James tells us that, that prayer, the prayer of a righteous person, has great power. In other translations, it says it can accomplish much. So when I request prayers for ministry, don't take it lightly and don't think that I do. Prayer is the fuel. It's what gives ministry its power. I guarantee you that at the heart of every faithful, successful, and fruitful ministry, you will find righteous and committed believers praying. You will. Second way to get equipped for ministry is through giving. Some don't like focusing on this in Scripture, the subject of giving. Many of you, when you hear the words collection or, or offering, you get real antsy, maybe due to negative experiences that you've had in the past, and even some churches kind of publicize that they don't pass the plate. I know we don't hear, but, you know, it's kind of like, don't even mention it. Don't even mention the offering plate. And, and it's due to some negative things that have happened in the past, and, and I know there have been a lot of abuses that have occurred in, in, in churches when it comes to money, and that's not right. But listen, just because that's the case doesn't mean we need to just throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Truth is, God uses money to make ministry happen. He does. Through the sacrificial giving of believers, God's kingdom advances, and guess who benefits? both those using money for ministry and those who give it. It's true, you, you always find that. Both 
benefit. You benefit when you give sacrificially, and the ministry benefits as well. It's a win-win. Lastly, to get equipped for ministry, we must go as well. So praying, giving, and going. Sometimes the best way to get equipped for ministry is by going and doing ministry. Now, though I, I believe one should be somewhat equipped before he or she just goes and involves themselves in local ministry or international missions, there are things that God teaches us in ways he grows us on the job. I'll never forget my first mission trip. Though I prepared before I left, there were lessons I learned on the field that I cannot receive from a book or from a handout. It's true. So another way we learn is by going. So praying, giving, and going. Those are the ways you get equipped for ministry. So my prayer for us is as we start this new year that we would get equipped for ministry in this way. I pray that you would make a commitment to pray for the work that we're doing locally and internationally. Pray for our two that are in Nigeria this week. Start there. And that you would give to support these ministries and that you would look for opportunities to also involve yourself in one or more of these in a moment after I pray, our worship team is going to come and lead us in, in one more song. And as they pray, as they play, I want you to spend time thinking about how you're doing in each one of these areas. And consider the commitment that you need to make for 2013. Let's pray.